Welcome to the Grantland Basketball Hour, presented by the U.S. Postal Service. Here's Bill and Ryan. Welcome to the Grantland Basketball Hour. That's Ryan Rosillo. Jalen Rose, it's the end of the regular season. We're resting him. We're resting our starters. We're, we're in the mean? playoffs. My D-League call-up? No, we're getting you more shots. All right, I like that. Uh, Jalen could not be here. We miss Jalen. Uh, at the start of every show, we like to have a segment that we never use again. So what's this one called? This is the Hyperbolic Chamber. Oh, this sounds like we'll never use this one again. <laughs> uh, the Hyperbolic Chamber. Hyperbole. Right. There when was you some exaggerate debate. something, you get excited. It's like a cross between a hot take, exaggeration. What else? A lot of hot takes out there. I kind of yeah. like don't believe the hyperbole, but. It's not. Well, we were torn between those two segments. But the first one, let's see what that is. Let's go into the hyperbolic chamber. And it is the 2015 Warriors are winning the title. They're winning it. Do you believe this? I do. About a month or so ago, I went, you know, no one's better than them. They're deeper than everybody else. They have a top five player in Curry who is impossible to guard, and they can also adapt to any style. If you want to go big and Bo gets healthy, he can match up against your bigs defensively. If they want to go small with that Draymond Green lineup, that's been a nightmare for other teams. So I think they can do it all, and I'd be surprised now if they don't win the whole thing. I think they're going to win the whole thing. History says they're going to win the whole thing. You look at the teams, like the point differential thing, I think is really important. When I was writing my basketball book, uh, anytime it's over 10, that's when you got to start taking it seriously. In the last five teams that went over 10 for point differential, four of them won the title. The fifth one was the 72 bucks, and that was a team that was the same year as the Lakers that won 33 straight games with Wilt and, uh, and Jerry. And four of those That's teams are monsters. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, these aren't just kind of fluky teams But I, I feel like people aren't taking the Warriors seriously. They just, oh, they're having a good season. It's like, no, they're having one of the best six or seven regular seasons in the history of basketball. If I do another radio hit, I know you turn a lot of them down, but where I go <laughs> on, <like> big. <laughs> go on, and they go, hey, this Warriors team is fun, but they're not good enough on defense. They can't sustain this. And you go, they have been great on defense for two years, the best defensive team in the league. And just because they jump, shoot, you know, set up, set up a lot of guys to shoot off of screens, right. when you watch them night in and night out, you go, there are nights where they're going to be an avalanche offensively. There's nothing you can really do. So I think the lack of playoff experience for them, only 19 games with this two group years, of Curry, yeah. right, but that Spurs series two years ago could have gone either way. They went to seven with the Clippers last year when Bogut was hurt. So it's not like they've never been in the playoffs before. And they were number one in offensive efficiency, number one in defensive efficiency right now. In the last 50 years, the only other time that's happened, the 96 Bulls, which some people consider the greatest team of all time. I'm still in the 86 Celtics camp. but I like that 83 Sixers team, but eh, they don't get a lot They didn't them. defend the title. That always bothered me yeah, with them. But I, I, I went to the Warriors-Clippers game last night. Okay. They rest Draymond Green. They have a 10-game lead. They have nothing to play for, literally nothing. There's no reason for them to even really show up. They could have rested everybody. Doc Rivers does a little chirping before the game, talks and kind of gives them a little guff for resting Draymond. And at some point, the switch went off. Steph Curry did the, the breaking the ankles move. And then Chris Paul also, also stepped on his foot. Too. Well, that happened too. No, but, no one wants but to But it got super competitive, and at some point, they just kind of laid the smack down. And this was like one of those, we have the championship belt. We're going to win this thing. I was really impressed. I think Draymond is so important to what they do, not just based on what we're talking about there, but him not playing and him chirping. He's their tough guy. A lot of chirping. Right. He's their tough guy. And if you don't have that grizzled group of guys that have been through the playoff wars for five years, you wonder... 
are these guys tough enough? Are they going to get back up? Are they going to swing back at guys? And Draymond's so important to them that that's why they never even thought of a future without him and why they'll probably spend a ton of money on a guy that's really just a role player. Yeah, he's a market max guy. Absolutely. Like. You don't think of him as a max guy, but he's going to get it. I also think Curry has gotten a swagger this year. You saw it last night. Chris Paul committed 40,000 of them last night. Like, he's hitting them on every place, touching them, feeling them, pushing them. And I think they were down 17 in the second quarter. And actually, I went with my friend Wilds, and I was saying to him, this feels like if you're the MVP, this is one of those games where you're like, you know what, I'm the MVP. I'm going to actually bring us back here. And that's right around the time when Curry did the little breakdance move and broke his ankles and lit up Twitter. But he just, he, the way he's carrying so, himself now, he's not like the little schoolboy Steph Curry, son of Dell, you know, just a nice story. Like, I really feel like he thinks he's the guy now. But if you have that kind of weapon, right, where you know you can pull from almost anywhere across half court and it's going to go in, he's the best shooter I've ever seen. Okay? He's, he's yes. better statistically uh, than a lot of guys, but there's still some guys that are ahead of him. But when you look at Corver, Corver's a great shooter, but it's off the catch. You know, yeah. it's usually off of some other action. He's Curry, creating his own. Curry can just pull up and transition. He can, he'd can. he be even a better shooter if he was playing two guard like he originally was coming up in the league because he'd go to that short corner, and he loved that shot. But this team now, with Steve Kerr, they deserve so much credit for opening it up, making it less challenging for Steph, because I think that was some of the complaints he had with Mark Jackson last year yeah. was that they felt like it was, all right, Steph, just bail us out because you're awesome. And sometimes even the greatest players need somebody to make it easy on them, and Kerr does that. And they're having one of the greatest start-to-finish regular seasons we've seen. It'll be interesting to see if they carried over it in the playoffs. Because you look at, I think these were the greatest start-to-finish seasons ever, right? You think about peak record basically is like the oh, wait, best Celtics record they had. Make it? I'm shocked. The which one did it? I'm surprised you didn't have the most Celtics uh, most recent Celtics championship. Offer. Well, the, this is basically room? the peak record is when they, you know, before they started resting dudes. And you think like if the Warriors win three more games to be 64 and 13. That is crazy. This is like we grew up like idolizing some of these teams, and they're in there. Anyway. And in this year's West, too, to get 64 wins. Yeah. It's not like it's like an expansion year. It's what like they where they added the four teams. Can you imagine? They would have had like 75. Uh, what else do we have in the hyperbolic chamber? Let's see. Oh. Phil Jackson has no chance. Zero of saving the Knicks. We're going to make this quick. I just think the Knicks are screwed for as long as James Dolan is the owner. I just think they have no chance. Like, we now have a 15-year record that... A team owned by James Dolan has no chance to win. Okay, before I agree or disagree with you, my favorite part about this story is that when the thing first happened, and it was whether or not Phil was going to go to the Lakers, you and I talked, and we were talking it all through, and we weren't sure what he was going to do, and you're like, do you have any problem with Phil Jackson being asleep at 1030 at night? <laughs> oh, when he got the call right. from Jim Buss. Right. Jim Buss woke him up. Right. Yo, he's like falling asleep during Mad Men. If he's your point guy, can yeah. he be falling asleep at 1030 at night? Zero is harsh because they have the number one pick. But we're in the hyperbolic chamber. I know, but I'm just I'm here to balance it out a little yeah, bit. Yeah, okay. The number one pick this year, if they land in that top two spot, I think either Towns or Oakland or something we'll get to a little bit later, you're yeah. really thrilled. I know everybody hates Melo, but Melo's still a very good player, although tough to play alongside Maybe he passed with. his prime at this point. Next year will be year 13 for him. Right. A lot of miles. A lot of miles. But to say there's zero chance this, can, this team in the East can at least be in the top four the next two years, I'm not saying a championship. I just know it's really expensive. You're paying $17 million combined to Phil and Derek Fisher. Fisher, who's never coached before. And who was, was a bottom five coach this year. I absolutely. Like. And is, no idea is paid like a top five coach in the right. league. 
Which is, I, mean, I, hated the ta- I hated the Tyson Chandler trade. I hated the fact that they gave up Shumpert just to dump J.R. Smith's contract. Right, it wasn't even good. Thing, it was like getting rid of Tyson is going to make the locker room better. Yeah. Like all you ever hear about Chandler is that he's an awesome teammate. But, so you that think about, make sense. but Cleveland got two first-round picks for Mozgov. I, to me, it's like that job. You're competing against people like Daryl Morey and Sam Presti and Danny Ainge and Mike Zarin and people like that. And those people are out all over the country scouting, like moving, trying to get assets. I don't feel like Phil, Phil Jackson's 70. You can't tell me like he's at the D-League playoffs, like being like, oh, I like that power forward on South Dakota. You just see him being like, hey, can I have somebody's synergy password again? <laughs> uh, next one, Hyperbog Chamber number three. Step up and Ticketmaster will ruin the Clippers' season. What does this mean? What do you think this means? Zach alluded to this last night when he goes, what did you think of all the Golden State fans in the Staples Center? And he goes, well, I liked our fans, but I didn't like their fans. And this is something you know as a season ticket holder where it feels like certain nights across the street, there's just a lot of road warriors out there. Well, it's so much easier now to buy tickets when your team comes to town. And this is a big, I mean, they've done all the stats. You can read ESPN.com. Tom Haverstrow had a big thing about it, about home court advantage in the NBA has dropped. And I'm sure there's different reasons for it, right? Charter, better sleep, better diet, all this thing. But fundamentally, I don't think there's as much of a home court advantage anymore. I was there last night. The place was 40% Warriors fans. They're going crazy. And I think that's one of the things that's going to make Golden State really tough in the playoffs. Were there MVP chance last night? Oh, yeah. And it got drowned out by the booze. But I think for the Clippers, it's like when you don't have a home court advantage, when you have that many fans in the opposing stadium, on top of all the other problems they have and on top of the whether DeAndre Blake and Chris can be the top three of of a contender, um, I, I just think it's too much to overcome. I have such a hard time with this Clippers team because of how much I love Chris Paul. I like Doc a lot. Blake's but, fun to watch dunk. Yeah, Blake. I mean, you sit there and 40 you go, points okay, last night. who is he? And you go, well, he's dunking a lot, but then he's not as well-routed. And then you go, well, look, really look at the numbers. And look at the time that Blake had while Chris Paul was hurt last right. year and was basically pushing himself in the MVP conversation last season. Blake is a terrific and basketball about, And Chris player. played better without Blake. I know. That is kind of odd. And DeAndre... Probably a little overrated defensively, but is a perfect complement to what they want to run because Paul's always going to find him. It's just horrifying to watch him finish at the rim. But in-game, as much as I still kind of like the pieces, I can't stand watching him sometimes. I know that's a different avenue with this topic. It's a borderline hate watch. Yeah. Hate watch, though, I actually go, I hate this person, so I want to see them fail. I don't want to see them fail. I just get so tired of a how frustration consumed. watch <laughs> yeah maybe that's it they're just so consumed with think, everything else going on in the game i do think they that something is going to happen if they don't make the third you think they break year. the guys up well i think deandre could leave he's a he's a free agent and that guy can go anywhere he wants and not have to worry about never having a play run for him or any of that stuff just kind of be the guy on a better team i think it's conceivable i think trading blake is conceivable he shouldn't leave chris paul if you're deandre no but maybe blake does i don't know I'm prepared for anything with that team. You're going to renew it? Uh, huh? you yeah. renew your tickets? Of course. Uh, the last one, Hyperbob Chamber. Kyrie Irving has a better chance of being the 2015 Finals MVP than LeBron James. This is, this this is, is really hyperbole. This is this staying is up stupid. late. Yeah. This is stupid. This is like a last call question. <laughs> uh, no way. There's just no way. Because LeBron, it'll be funny, too, because I think it'll play off of the lack of credit LeBron gets for just being LeBron. And granted, he started the season slow. Some guys ding him up. Maybe the guy to the left of me who could he left for two weeks. Mm. But LeBron is always judged against peak LeBron year. So that's why he's not part of the MVP conversation. Also because we have an awesome class this year. But if LeBron is the guy on a team winning a title, I just, I don't see, I mean, Kyrie would have to put up some 40 and 50 point games for him to get that. Do you think Tim Duncan was one of the 10 best players of all time? Yeah, I do. 
In 2007, Tim Duncan did not win the finals MVP. Tony Parker did. Yeah, and Kawhi um, won it last year. It's really easy to win the finals MVP when you're not the quote-unquote best player on the team. The thing that's interesting with Kawhi, uh, Kyrie. Kyrie. Kyrie, Kawhi. Uh, the thing that's interesting about Kyrie, he can just win two, three games by himself. We've seen it happen. Like, he can put up 47 in game two, 44 in game four, and then all of a sudden that the buzz starts and that's it. I actually think as far as small guys go, he is the best at finishing the rim of anyone I've seen in the league this year. And that's that's He's on about, the short list of right, all time. Yeah. Russell, it, just his launch, Westbrook, and how he's able to kind of finish with this violence or get to the free throw line. Yeah. Kyrie shows you that ball, and then he switches on you the last second, and big guys don't even know what to do with it. There are right. so many times where he leaves to try to finish the rim. You go, he's got no shot, but yet we know now that he can do that. And that's a huge thing for younger, smaller players who get in the league and immediately go, i got to change a big part of my game because I can never go down there anymore because I'll never finish, and Kyrie can. I think other than 2011 Dwayne Wade, he is the best offensive player LeBron's ever played with. And I actually think what's cool is when he's playing well, I think LeBron really gets a kick out of it. I do too. Yeah, absolutely. Like he's really like, this is great. I'm going to take the rest of this game. You just do your thing, Kyrie. I still think in the playoffs, though, the one-on-one -on -one stuff is going to come back to haunt them a little bit. I, don't, I, I just think like we've seen that over and over again in the playoffs. When everything slows down, defenses know it's coming. And you're going one-on-one, one-on-one, one-on-one -on -one, one -on -one every time. It's easy to stop. Does that mean you're picking Atlanta then? No. Okay. No, I'm definitely not picking Atlanta. Uh, well, that's it for the Hyperbolic Chamber, which you'll never see again. We have Steven Jackson and Jay Billis coming up later in the show. We'll be right back. Ryan, you're one of the biggest NBA fans I know. Are you satisfied with the regular season in the playoffs? I think you could use some changing, Bill. Thanks for the setup. Uh, I agree with you. I like fixing things. If you read my column on Grantland.com, I like to tweak the uh, all kinds of ideas for the NBA. This is an idea that I had for the regular season in the playoffs. Let's look at the regular season first. 74 games, not 82. We're just getting rid of eight, getting rid of all the four and five nights that everybody has to play in a couple back-to-backs. We're fine with 74. I'd start the season 10 days later, uh, the first Friday in November, to kind of avoid that when the NFL, college football, the World Series, all that stuff is all heating up, just kind of get out of that 10 days later. And then I'd make the All-Star break eight days because I want my guys to rest, to relax, go see their wives, their girlfriends, their mistresses, whoever they need to see. Yeah, um, all of them. So we're going to stretch that out. It's going to be nice. And it's going to end in mid-April like always. Do you agree with this? Okay, the best part about this is that Bill sends me an email yesterday, years of work, going... <laughs> Hey, what do you think, Rosillo? Feel free to throw in some of your changes. And I go, I've been spending nine years on this. Any other ideas? I go, can I get more than 20 hours in a red eye to prep for this? So yeah. I'm just going to play devil's advocate to some of this stuff. Okay. Because normally I am rejecting all of this stuff. We get the PAs on our shows in the East yeah. Coast. They it's go, the East well, Coast. And right. And then, but they just show up and they go, well, Simmons says. And I go, yeah. just shut up. Okay. Uh, but I am open. I am open to some of these changes. The yep. first thing, though, 74 games, the loss of inventory. We were kicking so around. Everybody some, loses four home games. Right. So we're kicking around some rough, rough estimations of what that would mean. Financially, say about 100 million if you're talking 30 teams losing four home games. 100 million split over. 30 owners. Right, okay. Yeah. But it's not like nobody wants to give anything back. So you'd have to figure out a way to make up that money. Maybe that comes in later on. I and have also, the way. I know oh, we'll ahead. get to that. But then I also think it's a matter of what the television inventory that you've sold. So there's an agreement with ESPN. It's this many games. I do think all of these things are fixable because there's nothing worse than when you're trying to be creative and fix some problems. And then the guy just goes, 
oh, they don't want to do that. Well, let's talk about it and figure it out. This isn't impossible. And well, it gets rid of those back-to-backs, or at least four and five nights. Well, I have a way to fix the $100 million that you were worried about for the billionaire owners, because God forbid they made a little less money. Uh, it's called the Entertaining as Heck Tournament. It's called something else on the Internet. Uh, but in this case, we're calling it Heck. The Entertaining as Heck Tournament. So this is where you make uh, back that $100 million. Yeah. So first of all, instead of eight seeds that make the playoffs in each conference... Seven seeds. Top seven. Okay. So now we have 16 teams that haven't made the playoffs, right? Oh, well, what do we do with them? Let's throw them in a single elimination tournament. So let's say that if the season ended today, this would be the tournament, right? So you'd have OKC playing the Knicks in round one, Celtics Magic, uh, Charlotte Detroit. I mean, we go through. Show the other, the other Charlotte four Detroit matchups, too. So... I mean, those aren't great first matchups, but if I'm a cable network that needs some playoff game NBA content, I'm willing to fork over some money for that. You show those, split those over two nights, and now look at what happens in round two. Round two is when it gets good. All right, so now I got, I have eight teams playing for two playoff spots, basically. Would you watch all of those games? Look at those games. Are you asking me? I watch Sacramento. Of course you'd watch his game. So I'm the wrong guy. I like this. Now, I liked your groupies five-on-five all-star weekend. MVP of that game gets to sleep with the MVP of the real all-star game. (laughs) I like that tournament a little bit better. But this one could work. And you're talking about 14 games. And if you want to take it all the way out to the 15th game, I don't know why you'd need a champion for this. Well, let's see that. So we played this out higher seeds, but I actually had the Celtics and Jazz winning. Uh, so now we have OKC playing the Celtics. My God, the Celtics pulled off the upset. And then New Orleans Jazz, that would, I gotta say, that might be the highlight of my entire April. Is okay, that New Orleans Jazz game? Rudy Gobert? Would teams, Anthony Davis? Would you just be extending tanking though? Would teams be trying to tank no, this by not getting into the playoffs? All right, so if I'm a Philly fan and you're, or actually Philly's a bad example. If I'm, who's, who's like Jazz? shutting down guys? All right, Sacramento. Okay. Sacramento's talking about shutting down Boogie Cousins right now, and it's obviously because they want to even have a worse draft pick. If I'm a Sacramento fan, I'm like, wait a second. We could be in this tournament. I could still make the playoffs. Don't shut down Boogie Cousins. I want to see him. But see, you're fascinated, and this is something I've never understood. You love this the feels pointless. insulting. No, it might be. Let me know. But if you you love, in all the years I've known you, the pointless playoff participation thing. Like you want the Celtics to make the playoffs this year. Who cares? Atlanta's going to smoke them. They're going to smoke Wait. whoever's in that one eight matchup. First of all, bite your tongue. <laughs> and second of all, my whole rule with all this stuff is. It, is it does it make stuff more fun? Like we were talking about four point shots. Yeah, I don't this think there should be a four fun, point shot in the fourth quarter, but first, second, third quarter, if there's a four point shot and somebody's seventy feet away and they're shooting, I'm watching it to see if they're gonna get four points out of it. It would be more fun. This would be more fun. Everyone is watching those fourteen playoff games and I really do think they'd make more money. What about designated archer on the bench shooting at the ball the opponent shoots? <laughs> All right, now you're getting too wonky. Uh, okay, I just, I do believe there's a line. And I like a lot of this stuff. I think the four-point four shot, well, I, I can't do that. I think they could stretch the league, the season out. Because right now it ends like in the mid-June, basically. There's two extra weeks in June that they're kind of leaving on the table. I would push, figure out a way to push everything a little bit back. You space it out more. Things end in the last week of June. Then you got the draft. You have that maybe the Tuesday and Wednesday after July 4th weekend. I would have the lottery be its own draft day. And I've done the draft for a couple of years. There's never enough time to talk about all the picks. No, definitely Three-hour show, just the first 14 picks. Then come back the second day and do the next couple rounds. Start free agency on July 10th. 
and that's a much better system. You're in on that system. Normally, I've convinced you. you no, know, selfishly, I go. I'd like to go on vacation sooner. You know, no. I like that to be done. But you're right. There is such a push by all of these leagues to find a way to own as much of the sports calendar as they possibly can. The NFL does this, and it's it's so obvious. Uh, they they push the draft back so much further last year, and they get a little pushback from that. But that time in June, and then really that month of July until you get NFL training camps, which is the very end, it's always that last week of July, that's kind of unclaimed territory in the sports world. So if you could push the season start back, avoid some of that football controversy, I don't think basketball fans are going, boy, I'd love to watch the start of the season, but the Phillies are in a wild card game. Like, I don't think that's happening. That, that basketball fan's watching the NBA. But if you could kind of put down your flag and take ownership of that stretch that is unclaimed right now, that would make it a better product, even though it does carry deeper into the summer. Well, and they also have a real problem with the last four weeks of the season here, where it's like, unless you're talking about five or six teams jockeying for whatever playoff spot, really, like, a the bottom the team ten of the league, league don't care. Right, right. And it's like, you have a team like Utah that's actually playing really well and is kind of peaking belatedly. It would be fun to see them have a chance to actually play themselves in the tournament. So that's my idea. Probably to, nobody ever listens to me on this stuff, but somebody we do listen to, Jay Billis, he's coming up next. Before that happens, our Subway Fresh Face, Chris Middleton, about to get 70 million bucks. Watch this. Welcome back, uh, my NBA draft partner, not you, but the, the captain of Wingspan. Be there on radio. You're be on the radio. We're there. We're in the same building. Right. Uh, Jay Billis is in Indianapolis. And um, as you know, all I care about with the NBA draft or with the uh, NCAA tournament is how it affects the NBA draft. Okafor or Towns, who do you believe in? I believe in them both. Uh, I would have said Okafor first, no-brainer, earlier in the year. But Towns has kind of won me over uh, because he he does more defensively. He's a better shot blocker, and I think he's more mobile. Uh, neither one of them are great runners, uh, but Towns is a better runner than Okafor. I, I, the only thing that, that gives me pause about sort of shifting toward Towns a little bit more than before is that Okafor is, like, dominant offensively, and he's got a, he's got a ridiculously good touch. I, I can't figure out why... He struggles so much from the free throw line, and and he's not been able to at least in showing that he can consistently knock down a 15 to 18 footer. Because when I've watched him in practice, the ball just dives in the basket, and he's he's ridiculously accurate from 12 feet and in. But you move him out to that free throw line, and uh, it's like watching Steve Sachs try to throw to uh, to first base back in the in the late 70s. I mean, it's just not happening, and. Uh, but I think it will. It's just a question of, of when it's going to happen. As a pro, is it fair to say that, at the very least, Okafor is going to be have to be double-teamed. He's going to be a great low-post player. That's probably the worst-case scenario. But Towns has this ceiling, this all-around ceiling, that we've seen before work successfully in the NBA. Do you feel like his ceiling is higher? Yeah, that, that's kind of what I, I think what the consensus is becoming, is that Towns, because he can block shots, He's a, a little bit of a higher-volume rebounder, although uh, Okafor has surprised me with what a good rebounder he is. When I watched him in practice early in the year, 
one of the first things that jumped out was, boy, he doesn't he doesn't really rebound. And boy, was that wrong. I watched him for like two or three straight days and and you know, he can rebound. And I think as he gets in better shape later on in his career, uh, because I think he will, I think he'll he'll become uh, better conditioned as an athlete. I think I think he's going to rise up in his performance level and his performance level offensively is ridiculous as a low post player. Uh, but Towns is a little bit better uh, at knocking down a perimeter shot. Uh, both of them have really good hands and really good feel. But it, I think it's going to be a really hard decision uh, for whoever has to, whomever has to decide uh, on those two at the, at the number one spot. Jay, I love D'Angelo Russell from Ohio State. And when I look at the way point guards play now in the NBA, is he entering the league at the perfect time for his style of play? That's a good point. Yeah, I think so. You know, when I, when I first saw him, I wasn't sure how good of an athlete he was. And I think he's a really good athlete. Um, not, not kind of a, he's not Westbrook or anything like that, world class. But he's crafty, and he's a way better athlete than he comes off as. And whatever the, it seems like whatever the play requires, he's able to, to make it. And he's got really good feel, really good vision. Uh, he's not, he doesn't need to have the ball all the time, although he's better with the ball in his hands, he seems to be, than he is sort of coming off screens or working without the ball. But he's not a ball-dominant player. He has had some issues. He's still a young player, but he has had, like, some of the better teams that they've played, that Ohio State played this year, he didn't have his best games. He had some great games against really good competition. But it seems like the best competition, it was hit or miss as to whether he was going to, you know, score 30 or be 3 for 19. He had a couple of those things in there, too. But at his age, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get too worked up over that, that you're going to, heck, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you had a guy that age, and if they put their pants on the right way to go out for the game, you'd be happy. Uh, so what these guys are doing now is pretty impressive. Jay, if you look at the wing positions then, and we may get to Moutier here, but as far as guys that have played in the States, how much separation is there from a guy like Russell and Justice Winslow at Duke, who really is thought to be that other top wing prospect? I think, I think you'd take Russell more as a point guard, and, and Winslow, Justice Winslow is the, is the true wing and I, I think Winslow's kind of a Harden-type player, not just because he's left-handed, but he reminds me of, of Harden. And early on, I think when, when people like me would make that comparison, it got scoffed at because Winslow didn't shoot the ball like Harden did as a freshman at Arizona State. But he's shooting it like that now. Uh, he, his, he's showing that he is a consistent and good shooter. Is he a, a great shooter? He's not Steph Curry. I'm not saying that. But he can consistently knock down perimeter shots. And when he grabs a rebound, uh, and, you know, he's going to be a, a two-man three, you know, in the, in the NBA wing. When he grabs a rebound, he, he's, he can take and go. And there are very few guys in college that have been able to, to bother him on his way to the rim in the open court. He's a, he's a big-time athlete. He can block shots. Uh, he's a, an excellent – I think he's got the chance to be an excellent defensive rebounder. And he's a good defender that can guard multiple spots. I, I think he's got, you know, early early when he first got to Duke, Coach K had said uh, uh, privately that he reminded him a little bit of D Wade. And you know, when you hear something like that, he doesn't really. Coach K doesn't, is not an exaggerator. And look, everybody's wrong about stuff like this from time to time. But uh, but boy, he's starting to he's starting to get me with that one. He, more, the more I watch him, the more I go, you know what? That that was probably the right call. Our college uh, basketball guru at Grantland is Mark Titus. He's been pushing the bandwagon of why isn't Justice Winslow the number one pick? So why isn't he? 
you know, Bill, that's a good question. I, I don't know whether it's kind of this old school idea that that guys like me can't let go of that you you got to take a big guy. And the game, like Titus is probably right. Like the game has changed. And so, but but it's so hard. Like you looked at these drafts and uh, over the years, and I think you've, you've pointed this out better than anybody, that if you look back, you know, you, you have you have this separation. You do the draft totally differently, and, and you know, looking back on it, and there, but there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's not like you can see it in advance. There are a lot of smart people that are looking at this stuff, and it's it's there's so much hit or miss to it, and you try to limit your mistakes. But the one thing you know, the one thing over over everything that I've learned in doing this over the years is that you know what, I'm going to make some bad calls. I, 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 right. I'm going to miss on some guys, and you have to kind of accept that you're going to miss. And you try to you try to miss small you know aim small miss small on these things, but but if you if you think you know you got it you got it figured out you don't and it, well, there's just no way. It's funny because, you know, with what Towns did in that Notre Dame game, I feel like one of those two guys, whether it was him or Okafor, needed to have a moment like that where you're just like, oh, I get it. But at the same time, the way the NBA is going these days, it almost seems like it would be more important to have the perimeter guy. I mean, all of these teams, except for New Orleans with Anthony Davis, all the MVP candidates are perimeter guys. New Orleans isn't going to make the playoffs. You just look around. Harden, Westbrook, Curry, LeBron. You know, these are guys that aren't big guys. And it's weird that we haven't shifted that way with the draft yet. That, that's, that's exactly right. But then you get into the idea of, okay, if you take Winslow, you know, and then later on in the year you go, geez, we need a rim protector. We don't have anybody to guard in the post. We don't have anybody to. We don't have anybody to deal with with uh, uh, being able to throw it inside to play off of. You know, if that's the way you're going to play, and, and at some point you're going to have to you're going to have to have a low post game, and you're certainly yeah. going to have to be able to defend there and rebound there. And it's it's when you don't have it, that's when you really covet it, and you go, geez, we got to have this thing. And uh, have this element. And that's kind of why, where, like, look, I've made a ton of mistakes in, in draft projections on players where you go, God, this guy's big and he can't duplicate that size. And uh, the, probably the biggest one was Greg Oden. Like, I remember you said, Bill, early on that you would take Durant. And I was, I was an Odin guy <laughs> that, that I, thought, I thought, boy, you, that guy can protect your paint for 10, 10 12 years. Uh, and I didn't anticipate that he was going to be injured and out of it and gone forever. Uh, I still think, geez, if, if if he were healthy, I thought he would have been one heck of an NBA player. I agree. But, yes. You know, you, you make you make you make a call, and and your call was absolutely right there. But then you could look at some other ones going where you where you passed up on the big guy, and he turned out to be an, an unbelievable monster that played 10, 12 years. I've made some bad calls too. Don't worry. No, everybody I, does. I, that's I that's the thing. I, right. Everybody does. It's kind of like picking the NCAA tournament. You're right. No, but I love the guys who remind you of like, hey, what misses have you had? Mm, none. None so far. Like, that's amazing. So, look, Emmanuel, Mur- uh, Emmanuel Moutier is a kid that played in the States in high school, was supposed to be at SMU, ends up in China, gets some money out of it, made a decision for his family. There's a bunch of different conflicting reports of what happened. Could he have gotten into school? That's not important now. What's important is what he projects to be because I think, Jay, when you watched him, at least in some of the high school showcase things, he's the guy with that size, 6'5", and may not be a point guard, but he just stands out amongst the other nine kids that he was at the same level of. He's a, he's a playmaking guard, and and I think he is a point guard, uh, especially at the NBA level where you're not you know you're not talking about sort of being this old school you know run the run the Hickory High School offense for Norman Dale. Uh, he can he can go in transition. Uh, he can get to the rim. He can finish plays. 
uh, pretty good passer. Uh, I think his decision making uh, improved as he got as he got out of high school. I haven't seen him play uh, overseas, so I don't know. I haven't watched any tape or anything yet of him, but I've heard good things, and I I think he's a better shooter than he was projected, or at least it was judged when he was coming out of high school. And you know, back at the at the you know sort of the Nike um, hoop summit. He, he's got the ability to make shots and like there's nothing in his mechanics that says, OK, this guy's never going to be able to get it. He, he, he will. So he's got all the tools. But at his size, I agree with you. I think he's a great prospect and I would be really, really surprised if he's not a top four or five pick. Quick one sentence answer. Uh, Willie Colley Stein, you believe in him as a top seven pick? I do in this draft. Yeah, I do. Because he can defend. Like, I think the DeAndre Jordan thing is actually fair because Jordan averaged seven points a game, six rebounds, and couldn't make a shot outside of two feet. And, uh, and look what he's doing now. He's, Collie Stein has got a, has got an elite skill and he's, he's a specialist. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I think that, that he'll have a, he'll have a place in the league for a long time. All right. Super quick. Denzel Valentine, is he going to come back to haunt teams like Draymond Green did? Not quite, not quite as much as Green, but but he he can play. He he's he just turns it over too much. But in the NBA, he'll be he'll be fine because he's he's creative right. and uh, and strong. So you're prepared for me at the draft to freak out when he drops to like number forty because I'm going to have a yes. conniption when it happens. Jay yes. Billis, enjoy the final four. Thanks for the time. Appreciate it. See you soon. We'll be back Always a on pleasure. Uh, the Grantland Basketball Hour. Stephen Jackson, Captain Jack, coming up next. We'll be right back. 2003 champion, one of our favorites, Steven Jackson. We we're just talking about how you don't wear the ring because yeah. the rings are too cumbersome. But you would have worn a, like a Rolex watch that had like a 2003 championship. That would have worked. That would have been awesome. A, yeah. wa- a nice little watch to wear every day. I think, you know, those rings are too bulky. Half of them don't even fit. So I think uh, they should change that to a watch. I think all guys wear watches. These should days. Tell Popovich to just send you one. Um, I was thinking about <laughs> you last night, Clippers Warriors. Those two teams hated each other. Mm-hmm. A lot of testosterone on the court. Your type of game. The type of game you would have thrived in. But Blake Griffin. What is it about Blake Griffin? Why do other teams and opponents and everybody not seem to like him? Well, I mean, you know, Blake's just going to have to take one one day. He's what does gonna, that mean? Meaning he's going to have to lay somebody out. I mean, obviously that's never the, the, the answer. But when you're a guy that supposed to be the go-to guy on your team and you get fouled and guys just foul you and it seems to work to take you out your game there's some kind of way you got to respond to let people know like you're not going to push around as enough as enough and that's just being a man that's not being a thug or a jerk that's just being a man at the end of the standing your ground so would you have messed with him it's safe to say if you were out there in one of these big games of of course i mean that was my role to go out and, and try to get under a guy's skin i mean i never had that problem because if a guy came at me like that you know is, I'm going to take it right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm just right there. <laughs> I love how it's already understood up here. <laughs> you know. So can you think of a guy, you're tipping it off, and you go, I just don't like that dude. Who's the first guy I'm you I'm messing with him. <sighs> Serge Ibaka. Serge Ibaka? You love Serge. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, don't, I don't like Serge Ibaka for the simple fact that, you know, there's a lot of guys that come in the league that, you know, it's from backgrounds where they had to fight all their life, you know. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure he come from a tough background, but... You know, being on the basketball court, he was never that guy. So a lot of times where he tries to be that that guy that wants to fight or that guy that has to foul somebody or to be that guy, that's not him. And uh, I think he's trying to get that role, but that's not him. And I don't buy it at all. Whereas, like, Zebo, you bought it. 
I know because I've seen it. You know, yeah. I've, I've been around Zebo off the court, you know, so I know Zebo. And I know him as a person, but I, I really don't know Serge. But on the court, you know, we got in a lot of arguments. And uh, when I was ready to take it there, you know, he wasn't ready. So, you know, I, I see the fear in his eyes. But you never were really in a fight in an NBA game. I mean, you had the famous Artest mm -hmm. melee, obviously. But on the court, I don't think were you ever in a fist fight. And that's what people don't know. Like, I'm, I'm judged for that one incident for defending my teammate, but I've never been in a fight on the court in the game my whole career in 13 years. Because people were afraid to fight you? Well, not that, because I, no, I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say because, you know, people knew that, that I played the game with a lot of passion, and this means everything to me. So if you cross me while I'm on this court, then you must want to go there. And, and that was my attitude every night. How many guys in the league are like that? I know of two for a fact, and that's Zebo and Ron Artest. Uh, we all have the same passion for the game. The game has changed my life. Uh, it's done a lot for my family. And uh, it's made me a better person. And, uh, you know, I owe that to the game, so I played it with, with a lot of passion. So including the NBA and the Italian League? We got Everywhere. two guys. Okay. Everywhere. <laughs> Dominican, Dominican Republic? Dominican Republic was crazy, but I won a championship there, so uh, I had a good time there, too. What, what happens when you watch that, that fight at the Palace? Have you ever sat with our test and watched that thing and go, man, remember that? I mean, what's that like? You know, we did an interview a couple of weeks ago for the first time on it, and uh, ever since it happened. Um, but we never watched it together. I think I look at it all the time because, you know, I'm in history for it. I mean, I'll, I'll be naive to say I'm not in history for that brawl, but I was defending my teammate, and I'll do it again today. I mean, that's just what I was taught, and uh, a lot of people don't look at it that way. We're in an arena with 50,000 people against us. Um, obviously, not go going in the stands wasn't right at all. But being that for my teammate, I'd do it any day. And Ron know he was wrong. I knew he was wrong. You know, I didn't know if he was going to have a job afterwards. But um, I was willing to deal with that because uh, it was my teammate. And yeah. it was true that Ron Artest in the locker room after. Uh, are we going to get in trouble? Oh my goodness! Can you believe that? that <laughs> are we going to get in trouble? That lets you think no. we're going to get in trouble. Right. That lets you know how he was thinking at the time. You know what I mean? I mean to to be able to go in the stands and fight in the NBA in a professional game. At that, at that arena, I mean, you have to anticipate losing your job. You know, I was ready for it. I mean, uh, you know, I, I would have been devastated, but I was ready for it. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know how he could have thought that we, it was a possibility that we couldn't have our job. I mean, that's just obvious. <laughs> let, let, let's think of some better memories. Let's right. think of that, that Spurs team. Man, we just went on a fight tangent yeah, yeah. in this segment. But when you think about your role with the Spurs, and I've thought of you where you've been a leader, but then you've also been a guy who's fit in. How aware were you to know, now that I'm with San Antonio and they've established something here, I have to approach this differently as a player? I think the biggest thing with me was when I first got there, uh, Pop told me what to get me on the court and what to get me, you know, uh, a role on his team, and I was playing defense. And uh, I didn't understand that. I think even when I my whole career, I mean, my whole life trying to get to the NBA, I was thinking I had to be a scorer. And once I got into NBA and Pop knew my passion, he knew that I didn't back down from anybody. Once I understood the defense changes games and defense is a big part of the game, it changed my career. And uh, I was able to start in San Antonio and I was able to be on the championship team. What, uh, everybody always said that you were a great teammate. What, what are the qualities that make a great teammate? Why do people say that about you? Well, I, I think because I'm going to go all the way to the dead end sign with you. You know what I mean? I'm going to go all the way. But once we get to the dead end sign, then you're on your own. But I'm, I'm, I'm just a lawyer guy. If I'm with you, I'm with you. Uh, it's, it's been times where I'm not going to say the coach's name, but the coach has sent me on the court at times to pick fights and to be physical with guys, and I've done it. And you, don't, you won't find five guys in the NBA that'll do that because guys have their own um, egos. Everybody's a millionaire and everybody feels they can do it their way. 
you know, and I was never that guy. I was always the team guy. And, uh, you know, by Tim Duncan calling me that, that's something I live off of, being an ultimate teammate. Give us a great Duncan story. What's the kind of Duncan story that, that you share with your buddies where you go, this is me telling you he's a little different than maybe yeah, this Yeah, he's boring, not a quiet guy. Right, he's this, no, this happened. Right. He's always this boring, quiet guy publicly, but he has to be more interesting than that. Yeah, I got a good story. We was playing paintball. And, uh, you know, Tim likes paintball guns. He likes to paint paintball. And it's hard to believe that a guy is set that tall. That big of a target. Is the best hider <laughs> in paintball. Okay, uh, we was not supposed to be playing paintball. We was in training camp. And uh, we snuck out. Pop actually, t actually he told us not to go. We, you know, it was two days for camp. And we went anyway. So it was all Tim's idea. You wouldn't believe it. It's Tim's idea to go against Pop. So we go and... Um, you know, I, you know, I'm one of those guys, you know, I'm not afraid to get shot. I've been shot at many times in real life. So non paintball, paintball <laughs> bullets didn't bother me at all. Right. So, uh, the paintball. So we shoot and I was always, I was running. I didn't mind get hit. So it was a game grabbed the flag. So I have to run up the flag. So, you know, I was new to the game. I didn't know that you can have the actual mass that don't fog up. So I didn't know that I was, I was just a action junkie. So I'm running out there to go get the flag and my mass free uh, fogs up. So I have to go up the steps. So I slip on the first step, hit my mouth. Blood just starts shooting everywhere, <laughs> shooting everywhere. So I'm my mask, so I put my mask down. I'm trying to run off the court, I mean, off the field, and I'm just holding my mouth, and I'm just getting shot. And I'm trying to tell people, stop, stop, and I'm getting shot the whole way. So as I get there, I take up my mask, and Tim's like, oh, how am I going to tell Pop? My lip is just huge. It's just, I'm talking about huge. And Tim was just like, how am I going to tell Pop? How am I going to tell Pop? So we made up something. <laughs> and uh, we, made, we made up some excuse. Uh, I was at the club, and so we made up some excuse. But nobody was around with me, and uh, that's a part of me being off the team, and I'll take one for the team. It sounds like you talk about Pop almost like you talk about, like, your dad or something. Like, oh, dad's going to get mad that we play ping pong. I mean, How great I, is it that you said being at the club is a better excuse than actually <laughs> playing play ping pong? Yeah, because you can believe that. That's more believable, me getting a fight at the club than me falling and busting my left playing paintball. Quick question about Duncan. You know, you talk about the generation, which you were a part of this, Duncan, Kobe, KG, all those guys. Like, that, there's a specific generation. And people seem to have drifted toward Kobe being the best player of that generation. I know you're a little biased because you play with Duncan, but why isn't it Duncan? Well, I wouldn't say Kobe. Okay. I would say Kobe's good at his position. Yeah. I'd say Tim is the best at his position. Um, you know, you got a lot of guys that come through the NBA, but, you know, you very seldom meet a guy like Tim Duncan. You very seldom meet a guy like Kobe Bryant. I was blessed to play in the McDonald's All-American game with Kobe and come through high school with him, and I was able to win the championship with Tim Duncan. They're one and the same. They're both great. They're both rare. And uh, they're both going to go down as the best in their position. If not, you know, Jordan, but uh, for Kobe. But, uh, so you don't believe there's an alpha dog for your generation? No, I don't think it's an alpha dog, period. I just think it's a whole bunch of great guys. And uh, you just got to salute them all. You're from Atlanta. Or you're living in Atlanta now. Mm -hmm. You've been going to a lot of Hawks games. Just quickly, you're not a total believer in their playoff chances. You know, I'm a, I'm a believer in the coach. But because I've, I played under him in San Antonio. And I, and I know his passion. I know... He studies the game like Pop. But, uh, you know, those guys played at a high level from the jump, and it's hard to sustain that all the way through the season and through the playoffs. I don't think they're going to do it, but, you know, I just believe in the coach, and that's what I believe in most. Okay. All right. You've earned a return invite. Can you come back? Man, I would love some to come point? back, man. Grantland is the type of place I need to be at, man. So invite me back. Captain Jack, uh, we'll be right back. All right, here's the part of the show when we answer actual questions from actual readers. It's the mailbag. Here's the first one. 
Uh, Monty Williams needs to go, as you well know. Who should our next coach be from Josh? What do you think, Ryan? Gruden. <laughs> Gruden? Yeah. I wasn't expecting that. Weren't you? Uh, I'm going with Tom Thibodeau. You think it's over in Chicago? I think it is so over. You've been I think very, very pro Tibbs. It's like one of those thing. celebrity marriages that's in Us Weekly that you just, you're ready for the split cover. I think that's going to happen. All right, what do we have next? How many, I swear I didn't write this. How many seasons till Brad Stevens wins Coach of the Year? He'll Does win it, it happen this decade? No, he'll win it next year. The problem is, though, is that this late kind of are they a good team, that's the thing is we look at these playoff teams the back end of the East and we pretend they're actually good because they're playoff teams, and they still aren't. But because they've, they've given you a little bit of a hint how good he is as a coach, you usually have to be the guy out of absolutely nowhere to win this award. So, Well, I think that's their best asset for the Summers. I think word is spread around that he is one of the best in-game coaches in the league. And if I'm a free agent... Maybe I want to go to a place that has a great coach. Sounds a little unorthodox. I know. I Don't mean, tell you, them about the 108 inches of snow this winter. Yeah, you Boston. keep telling them. They're a great coach. The, like, the snow thing was a myth. out of bounds place. What's the next question? Which current NBA player would be the best player coach, asked Joey in Sacramento. Um, I'm going to go Nate Robinson. You're not taking this seriously enough. I'm going to say Chris Paul because I feel like he's already the Clippers coach. See, but that's a shot. He's already you make it more personal. Around. I don't take it I'm as not... serious. You make it more personal. Why did I make it personal? Because anytime you can kind of, you know, dock Rivers with you. I just think Chris is, orders people around. He'd be a good coach. That's what a coach does. He is very bossy. He is very uh, bossy. Moving on. What do we have uh, What's next? wrong with Nate Robinson? Well, <laughs> uh, did Westbrook officially grab Iverson's title as the U.S. athlete that could have been the greatest soccer player ever? I love how mad soccer people get about anything. Oh, they hate this. That's why I put it no, in. But, but it's anything. I don't even. I kind of like soccer. I just don't like guys that are dressed for a scrimmage, twenty-four hours a day. Uh, Westbrook's the most athletic player to ever play this position. So yeah. of course, yes is the correct answer. I, I would say yes, but I think Kyrie Irving is kind of on his corner a little bit with this question. I think the way Kyrie Irving finishes the traffic, bounces off people, I could see him in there. Last question. Gee, I wonder if it's a Boston one that I might have written. Is Boogie and the Kings next year? He'd make a great Celtic, right? Uh, if that goes in flames in Sacramento, the Celtics are ready. They have draft picks. They have assets. They're ready to make a move. Do you feel like this is going south for him in Sacramento? No, I think George Carl is going to get it at the offseason and figure it out because he's still that talented. It'll actually be cheap moving forward for a couple years. But yeah. I love when people talk about Boogie and they'll say, well, he liked that one coach. He's on his fifth one now. That's true. And like 10 point guards, too. Well, that's it for the show. Thanks to Steven Jackson. Thanks to Jay Billis. Thanks to Ryan Russillo. We miss you, Jay Lamarose. See you next time.